The first reading today is taken from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. Father, we ask for the light of your Son to brighten our darkness. May his light that resides in your people, in us, in every Christian, may that light draw others to yourself. We ask for the glory and honor of your name in all of the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As Natalie had mentioned in the children's moment, we are close to the end of the Christmas season, and we are entering in three days' time another season called Epiphany. Uh, during Epiphany, the church worldwide around the world will again be reflecting on a few historic moments in the life of Jesus when, at the appointed time, Jesus had gone public. He showed himself, showed himself to the world, no longer out of sight at night as a baby in a manger, no longer hiding away in exile in Egypt with his parents, no longer on his own as a teenager in the temple confounding the religious experts, no longer in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Now in our reading from Isaiah 60 that Natalie had read for us, it had been foretold of this moment, of this moment when the light of God would materialize, would materialize before the eyes of the world as light that shines through your pupils, as photons that hit the retinas in the back of your eyes, even for those who cannot see, to give sight to those who are blind, to power wash away the shadow of death that had longed stained the entire world. Since we're still in the Christmas season, which is a season about light, and as we are headed into Epiphany, which is a season about seeing the light, light and seeing the light, we will be reflecting and then today what it means to see the light of God. So Isaiah from Isaiah 60 will be reflecting on three questions, three questions about seeing God's light in Jesus Christ. So first, what's the first question is, what is the light of God? Second, what does the light of God do to us? And thirdly, what can we do with the light of God? What is the light of God? What does the light of God do to us? And what can we do with the light of God? So with that, I invite us to turn, if you have your Bibles with you, to chapter 60 of Isaiah. So first, what is the light of God? In verse 1, 
Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now here the prophet Isaiah paired the light of God with the glory of God. Light and glory being parallel or complementary ideas. Now in this verse, light and glory, they have synonymous meanings. So that's the clue to the first question. What's the light of God? It's the glory of God. According to Isaiah here, the light of God is the glory of God. Now, glory is one of those overused church words. What what does glory even mean? Now, strange as it sounds, the word for glory is related to the Hebrew word for liver. That is the internal organ inside you, the liver. Both glory and liver in Hebrew, they sound almost the same. Since, since the liver is actually the heaviest organ in your body, the word glory became associated with that, with the word for heavy or weighty. Now in this sense then, glory has an internal and personal property about it. That is the glory of a person would mean the most substantial part of who they are. The weightiest aspect of their personality. The weightiest aspect of their presence. The light of God then, which is the same as the glory of God, is the most substantial part of who God is. The light of God is the glory or the weight, the materialness of God's person and presence. But how can light and weight be related? I mean, strictly in physical terms, Weight has spatial or material properties. And light is energy. It's not matter. And so light has no mass. Since light does not weigh anything, it does not exert any physical force. Light won't weigh heavy on you. You can't feel light crushing you. You can't feel light at all, only as heat. Now, what am I trying to say? Now, since God is spirit, people only got to know him in abstracted forms. Back in the Old Testament, God appeared as a smoke, as fire, like a bright cloud, a pillar of fire, thunder and lightning, or it could be heard as words in the law proclaimed by the prophets or announced by angels. And whenever God showed up, it was said that the weight or the glory of God appeared. But God remained shrouded in mystery, distant and untouchable out of sight, out there, and immaterial. But then on Christmas Day, on the first Christmas Day, the light of God, the light of God, took on spatial properties, took on material properties. He took on some weight. He took some shape. He took on the four dimensions of time, height, width, and length. The light of the world had come on Christmas Day, and we have seen his shape. We have seen his weight. We have seen his matter, his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father. So full, so weighty, so heavy with grace, so heavy with truth. Jesus is the light and the glory of God that our eyes could now see and also that our hands could touch and measure, that our scales could weigh. If we are to get to know God in the most personal in the most personal and closest way possible, we must get to know Jesus. The light of God and the glory of God is Jesus Christ. So now we've come to the second question. 
What does the light of God do to us? Seeing Jesus Christ. Now to put it again in science terms, the closest thing we know in the universe to defy natural laws is the singularity inside the black hole. It's a single point in space that is infinitely dense and heavy that light gets pulled into it. Now in that case, using our Hebrew definition, black holes are the most glorious things out there. Now black holes are almost equivalent to the category of God in the world of physics, both having at least the property of infinity. Now last year, a team of scientists had produced the first real image of a black hole. But even then, we, we've barely touched the surface of understanding these cosmological anomalies. Now, occasionally in my free time, as you would know now from all my sciencey things, I browse around YouTube, which itself is a black hole. And I've enjoyed videos that speculate of scientific oddities. Now, one such video speculates of an extremely unlikely scenario of a tiny black hole appearing suddenly inside your pocket. Now, I leave it to you to imagine what would ensue if that were to happen. Now, when an entity of infinite density appears, anything weighing less than infinity, that comes within its gravity would then be pulled towards it, would bend towards it, would get sucked into it at infinite speed, with infinite force. You wouldn't know what hits you. So when the infinite weight and density and glory of God appeared in Bethlehem that first Christmas day, something cosmically cataclysmic should have happened, right? Something big would have happened. Yes, but not as spectacularly destructive as a black hole would do to you, to me, to to our planet God in humility had perfectly fit all of his infinite weight, all of his infinite density and glory in the developing fetus of Jesus in the Virgin Mary. Like squeezing an entire black hole into a tiny little star, God accomplished, he did what was impossible. Now that small star became the sun. The sun, as it were, at the center of all things, that had launched a new Copernican revolution. This sun of God emits the perfect spectrum of light, radiates a perfect amount of heat, exerts a perfect amount of gravity that pulls everything together in their proper orbits. And anything close to this sun at the center of all things, anything close to it, will reflect like the sun, like the surface of the moon. This is in a similar way what happens to us when we see the light of God in Jesus Christ. So we'll answer the second question. What does the light of God do to us? We become reflections. We become reflections of God's light. We become radiations, as it were. We ourselves radiate God's light. God could have showed up as a black hole and in a sheer infinite magnitude would have destroyed everything. But God showed up compressed, compressed in humility as a tiny star. This star, Jesus Christ, became the sun of the center of all things from which is our light and life of the world. And those who have seen his light reflect and radiate his light. Now we read in verse 3 in Isaiah, 
Nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now, wasn't this in reference to God's light? Now, why is Isaiah saying this light belongs to God's people? It's your light. It's my light. It's both and. God's light has become God's people's. Like, like Moses' face shining when he went up to Mount Sinai. And he saw God. He came down and the people of Israel saw his face gleaming. That's what happens to us. I mean, that's why the Apostle Paul could say elsewhere about the Christians in Corinth. But we all with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror and reflecting the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from weight to weight, from glory to glory. Seeing God's light, we become his light. And, be, we, and becoming light, we reflect, we radiate that same light. Of course, that light is not intrinsic to us, just as the moon has no light except that of the sun's. But it is ours, nonetheless, as a gift of God to us. As a gift to us, we possess it like our own, but not by any of our right or merit of our own, but by grace as an heirloom from God to us, for us to, for us to use it, to wield it, to possess it as our own. Now this leads to our third and final question. What are we to do with this gift? Gift that is the light of God residing in us, in the Holy Spirit. We go back to verse 1. We hear Isaiah giving command to the people of Judah to arise and shine. Arise and shine. That's like something a parent would yell out as he barges barge, barge into the room of their kid as they start to open up the curtains at 6 in the morning. It's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call. It's the same idiom that Jesus used when he took hold of the hand of a 12-year-old girl that had died of a very terrible fever. And he said to her, rise and shine, little girl. That's what he said in Aramaic. There's so much more in the Hebrew. It literally says, get up and give out light. Get up, give out light. Now, that's an odd thing to say to someone who's still in bed. Right? I mean, I understand the waking up part, but giving out light, poetically the phrase is what the psalmist imagined God giving the same command to the sun every single morning before it rises. Get up now, climb up from the eastern horizon of the earth, then give out your light to the rest of the world. Rise and shine. Not only is this a wake-up call, but this is God's command. It's God's directive to his people, to all of creations, to light up the world. Rise and shine is the arm of Jesus reaching in to the gaping mouth of death and pulling us out of its belly and then unleashing us, releasing us back into the world to lay siege against the gates and strongholds of hell. Rise and shine is that gravitational force of Jesus that pulls all things into orbit. His word to every star, shine. His word to every planet, keep to your course. His word to every creature, trust and obey me. Rise and shine is Jesus Christ waking us up, getting us up on our feet and giving us his light and saying this, little light of mine I give to you, you got to let this shine. 
got to let this shine as Jesus. That sounds, it's a true saying and worthy to be believed and worthy to be enacted. As Christians, Jesus entrusted this light to burn bright for the eyes of the world to see. And our fuel is limited. Our wick is short. But God is our infinite source, our infinite supply. We are but to direct his light into places that have yet to see the dawning of the day of Jesus Christ. In verse 3 to 6 in Isaiah, Isaiah saw that day of Jesus when all the commerce, all the goods, all the leaders of the world would flow into the city of Jerusalem. When those who have been dispersed and lost in exile would be united again. And then all the enemies of God would bring their tribute would pledge their allegiance as they're drawn by God's light rising from the east, pulled by the gravitational force of King Jesus when he sits on the throne of David, when he puts his weight on the seat. Now this prophecy was partially fulfilled when the Magi gave their gifts to the baby Jesus. But between then and when Jesus returns, we are today, right now, each given the torch of the Christ light, entrusted with this good news to preach, to proclaim, to perform in the places in our own hearts that we're still nursing idols, that we're still nestling sins that we have not given up, that we have not repented of, that we have not renounced, into the places in our own homes and families that cry out for hope and help, in the places in our world that have far too long been covered with spilled and clotted blood of the innocent, the oppressed, and the neglected. See, darkness yet covers the earth, as Isaiah saw in verse 2. Darkness yet covers the earth. And thick, moldy darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rose upon us like the sureness of the morning. And his glory manifested over all the world like the noonday sun. May we who have seen his light rise and shine like the brightness of the sun. May we who have seen his light reflect and radiate his light in every place that we're in. We get up, we get out, we burn bright in the light of the glory of God as we await the dawn of that immortal day when Jesus Christ returns to wash everything away that is untrue, that is, that is false. Now let me finish with the final scene of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 60. As we listen to his words, let's imagine this for ourselves. Let's picture this inside our own homes for Toronto, for our world as we're emerging still and reeling from the pandemic. Let's pray to God for the final fulfillment of these words as we work and live to realize this, even for our time. We work it now. Listen to God make this promise to us in these words. I will make peace your governor, and well-being your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation, your gates, your doors, praise. 
The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your eternal light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again. Your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They're the shoot that have planted the work of my hands for the display of my glorious splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.